Father, we are so thankful that you have given us your word so that we can know who you are and so that we can know how to have a relationship with you. Also that we would know how to love and interact with the people who are around us in a way that glorifies you. So we ask that your spirit will be our teacher, that you will encourage and teach and convict and rebuke, that you will refine us and make us more like Jesus this morning. Because that really is the way that you want us to live life. And that really is how the people around us will be blessed through our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a daughter who is about to turn 13 years old. And she's at that age where her friends are all getting cell phones. And so she's saying, Dad, get me a phone. And my wife and I are like, no, you're not getting a phone. Are you guys with me on that? You're like, you're too young. You ain't getting your own. It's just not going to happen. So I think that's a good move on our end. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a device. And uh, actually, studies have shown that it can have the exact same neurological effects on a child who's undisciplined and developing as something like crack cocaine, if you give them too much exposure. Anyways, uh, that said, she's like, Dad, give me a phone. No, you're not getting a phone for a while. So uh, she declared war on us. Uh, Here's what that means. She gave my phone number to all of her friends. (laughs) And her friends, I don't know, what they're thinking between the hours of 6 a.m. and midnight are sending text messages to my daughter, to my phone number. So I will, no joke, wake up in the morning and I will have somewhere between 70 and 125 text message notifications. So here's what I do. Silence all. I block them. I don't want to see that. I think it's great, though. I don't mind that she does that. But I was thinking... It's interesting how we sometimes do that with notifications, don't we? I have an app on my phone, Babbel, and it's a language app. It helps us to learn uh, different things. I'm motivated to learn languages. I I don't do very well with it, but uh, every day at 1.30 p.m., I get an alert on my phone, a notification, something like, ready to learn? This is going to be a great time. Um, And then after a while, we miss you. We haven't seen you. Are you alive? It's like, I just ignore the notifications. My intent, my want doesn't match up with my will, and therefore there's a gap. I also have another app on my phone, the Bible app. I wonder if it were to send me notifications as well, what would it say? We miss you? Haven't seen you in a while? Ready to learn? Ready to start obeying yet? We have such a precious thing in the Word of God But really, it is our responsibility to open it, to listen to God's alerts, his notifications, and to say, I don't want to tune out. I want to tune in. There are two verses that I want to share with you quickly. The first is Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, which says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. In our text, Nehemiah chapter 8, a powerful move of God happens. And God is always moving. God is always willing to connect with us. He neither sleeps nor slumbers, the Bible says. He's always wanting for us to enter in and to have a deep fellowship with him. 
But the question is, are we paying attention to the alerts? Or are we just hitting the silent button? Rather than silencing the alert, the people of Nehemiah chapter 8 came. They listened, they learned, they rejoiced, and they obeyed. There's a historical background that's significant. So let's listen carefully to what happened. About a hundred years before Nehemiah was born was another man of God named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah warned God's people saying, you need to turn away from your idolatry. You haven't been listening to God's rules about things like the Sabbath. You need to stop. You need to repent. Because if you don't repent, consequences will come. And that's always the way it is. If a person persists in a lifestyle of sin, what does the Bible say? Though sin is fun for a season, there will always be consequences. It will always happen. God has made us to function perfectly in righteousness. But sin comes in and sin disrupts, sin destroys, and sin will always bring consequences. So the people reject Jeremiah's warning. They don't listen. And just as Jeremiah foretold, the children of God are dragged into slavery for 70 years. At the end of that 70 years, because God is always faithful to his word, he raises up a man named Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel leads a group of Israelites out of captivity and into the land of promise. He came to rebuild the temple and to see worship restored. A second wave of exiles returned to the land of Israel under the leadership of a man named Ezra. And Ezra was a scribe. He was a scholar. He taught the people the word of God. And then the third wave was led by Nehemiah. Nehemiah, this high-ranking official in Persia, the cupbearer to the king, he brought the children of Israel back into Jerusalem because its walls were a heap of rubble. Its gates had been burned with fire and God's people were being oppressed by their enemies. Nehemiah came being led by the Lord, a man fervent in prayer. Now, the Bible, when we read it, is not simply two-dimensional. It's not just black ink on white pages. The Bible tells the stories of real people with real emotions like fatigue and fear and guilt and shame and hopes and dreams and dreams shattered and dreams fulfilled. In their time, this was physical and emotional exhaustion. You experienced that before? Seasons of life where you are completely exhausted? The text tells us that in just 52 days, they rebuilt this massive wall surrounding all of Jerusalem. They worked nonstop, no showers, no time to change clothes, no real opportunity to lay down their weapons. In fact, Nehemiah brought the people together and he said, while you're working, you ought to have the sword on your side. Don't take it off. Don't change your clothes. And anytime you hear the trumpet sound, race to that location because our enemies are coming in to invade and trying to kill us. You imagine the fatigue and the fear that you would experience every time you hear the trumpet sound? Battle, war, possible death. 
This was a really challenging, really taxing time. Nevertheless, they prayed, they persevered, and they prevailed. And after 52 days, they completed building the entire wall. Nehemiah chapter 8 happens just five days after the walls are completed. Here's an outline, and I want to quote Warren Wearsby. He says, If God is to work in and through his people, then they must respond positively to his word. And this chapter describes three basic responses. The first, they understand the word, verses 1 through 8. The second, they rejoice in the Lord, verses 9 through 12. And third, they obey the Lord, verses 13 through 18. We're going to focus on verses 1 through 12. If you go to a wedding, when do you stand? When the bride walks down the aisle. Or you are having a job interview, you stand to greet the one who's coming. Or you're watching a sports game, what happens? When your team scores, you stand to celebrate. And what I love about the reading of the text is that the people stood in honor of the Lord. So guess what we get to do this morning? Let's stand as we read. And I'm just going to read a small portion of Nehemiah chapter 8, and then you can sit back down. Starting actually at the second half of verse 73. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the Lord, sorry, before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. I won't make you continue standing so you can have a a seat now if you would like, but let's get into our text. The first, I love that they came when? On the first day of the seventh month. Why? What was the notification? What was the alert that came to them? In the book of Numbers, chapter 10, God says this, Blow the trumpets in times of gladness. Sound them at the beginning of each month. The trumpets will remind your God of his covenant with you. I am the Lord, your God. The first day of the seventh month, the trumpets sound in Israel. It's called the Feast of Trumpets. Something else that's significant is this first day of the seventh month is the Jewish New Year. So every man, woman, and child who had the capacity to understand gathered in the city in order to start the year off right. Imagine if the first day of every month there were trumpets that sounded and we just said, hey, we're going to pause and we're going to rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because he is God and he is good and what a great way to start each month. In fact, I love the verse, his mercies are new every morning. 
I'm not a morning person at all. I hate mornings, actually. I, I, I do my best work between like midnight and 3 a.m. I don't know if you're like me. Um, but the, the, whole, uh, the whole like, hey, I will arise, I will awaken the dawn with shouts of singing. I wrote that on my mirror once. So I'd, I'd wake up angry, I'd look at the mirror, and oh yeah. <laughs> and it was a great reminder. His mercies are new every morning. And just think about that when you wake up. Today is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice in it and be glad. So the first thing to note is they responded to their notification, to the trumpet call, and that's why they gathered. And they also came as one. One mind, one heart, one mission, one purpose. If I were to ask you to look around this room right now and find somebody that you can disagree with, how easy would that be? How far do you have to go? <laughs> you don't even have to move. You don't even have to look around. You just look in the mirror. We disagree with ourselves half the time. I mean, there's so many things that we can have division over. Politics, the jab, no jab, race reparations, cowboys, cardinals, cults, if you're football people. All sorts of things where we can say, this divides us. I disagree with you there. I don't like that about you. That's not what they did. No doubt they had disagreements, they had uh, different perspectives with one another, but they didn't focus on that. They focused on their Lord, and they focused on His Word. They came together for corporate worship. I want to say this as well, and I'm preaching to the choir because you are all here, but never underestimate the power of coming together to worship our God. You being here inspires me. You coming and opening your hearts and lifting your voices and singing to the Lord and loving on each other is an inspiration. It lifts up others. Keep doing it. Never underestimate it. They came as one and they came to worship. The next thing they did is they committed their minds. The text told us that from 6 a.m. until 12 noon, the people listened intently. You ever been to a, a Bible study for six hours? Can you imagine that? Morning till midday. Chuck Smith was the founder of Calvary Chapel, and while I was a, a student at uh, Bible college, Chuck came to teach. And he looked at our class, and he said, I don't know what your plans are for this afternoon, but they're changing. And he opened up the book of Romans... And for about three and a half hours, taught all of it. And I have to tell you something, it was wonderful. So powerful to sit under the word of God. My first thought was, oh no. But then at the end of it, it was, oh wow. Our God is great. Time spent in his word is never time wasted. Do you believe that the Lord wants to reveal himself to you today? What about this? Every time you open his word? He does. See, in order for communication to occur, there has to be a transmitter and a receiver. Somebody has to be sending the signal, but somebody also has to be receiving. 
Listen, God is always transmitting his word, sending his signal. In fact, he has written it down for us here. And he has given us the Holy Spirit who will guide us and lead us into all truth and help us to understand his word. God is speaking and he wants to speak to each of us. But the question is this, are we tuned in to hear? Are we ready? Because God does not reward the casual listener. He rewards the diligent seeker. He rewards those who are fully committed to him. So give God your full attention and he will speak. And listen, if you're thinking about the NFL right now and whether your team is doing well or not, I don't care. Okay, this is the most important thing right now. Tune in. Listen to what God has to say. The the next thing I see. So they came as one. They listened intently, but they did this as well. They exalted the word. No doubt they had differences again, but the people exalted the word of God together. Sure, the completing of the walls of Jerusalem was a monumental occurrence, but it was never about the walls. See, the walls were a servant to what? The community, to the relationships. As an aside, think about this. What has God given you? Possessions, materially. Are you pursuing those things as an end in themselves or are they servants for the community? Are they tools to enhance the relationships in your home, with your friends, your spouse, your kids, your parents? God has given us this place not to just admire the place but to enjoy the people within because what makes a house a home is not the stuff, it's the, it's the people. And listen, what makes the church the church is not the building, it's the, it's the people. God with his people. They exalted the word. Wearsby says this, the material needs of the city had been met. Now it was time to focus on the spiritual needs of the people of the city. In verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose and beside him at his right hand stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aeneah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Masaiah and at his left hand Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen. So be it, so be it, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They built a wooden platform. Why? To elevate the word. God says that he elevates his word on equal par with his name. He will preserve his word from generation to generation. And we do well to exalt the word of God in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own lives. I was talking with somebody recently and uh, they said to me, uh, what do you think about modernizing the Bible? 
So what do you mean, like putting it on a tablet? Sure. No, 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 no. Like, you know, a lot of the stuff written in there, you know, Paul and like Old Testament stuff seems archaic. It doesn't really work with our culture anymore. I mean, we're more advanced. So what do you think about like, you know, bringing in some new ideas, you know, like new writings, contemporary things? I was like, you're crazy. And it hit me. See, my friend opened the Bible, but it wasn't so that the Bible would leave its mark on him. He wanted to leave his mark on the Bible. Opening the Bible isn't good enough. We must come under the authority of the Bible and whatever God wants to say, we want to submit to it. We want God's word to leave its mark on us. Now listen to what the people did. Verse 7, another group of people, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadijah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleah, and the Levites. Now, by the way, I have no idea if I said those right, so don't quote me on it, but we made it through. The Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them understand the reading. So here's the scene that I envision. And I might be off, but this is at least what I envision. Is that Ezra has his friends around him. And reading for six straight hours and projecting loudly is not easy. So it seems to me that they each took turns reading the word of God, reading the law of Moses, and then they would pause and people who were trained in the word of God to understand its meaning would go around and there would be like huddles throughout the assembly and they would explain the meaning. If you will, they expounded the text. They taught a chunk, they explained the chunk, and then they moved on. Pastor Pat has shared this story before where as a young believer, just a few weeks old in the Lord, he would come together with his friends to have a Bible study. So here's what they did. They would come, open, read the text, and they would go around and be like, how does this make you feel, man? And then they would read and have a discussion about that. So he's at church, and he's talking with this older woman in the church, and he says to her, yeah, we've been doing a Bible study, and it's going great. And she says, what do you do? And he goes, well, we open the Bible, and we read a passage, and then we talk about how we feel. And she goes, that's not Bible study. Pat said he was offended for about two years, and then he realized she's right. That's not Bible study. That's Bible feely. How do I feel? It's not what happens here. They opened the word of God, they gave their ear to the learning, and the text was explained so that they could understand the meaning intellectually. They committed their minds to the Lord. God has never intended for you and me to check our brains at the door when we enter into the church. In fact, what has he said? Worship him with all of your minds. Let me reemphasize it. Worship him with all of your minds. Give him your mind completely. See, opening the word of God in order to understand its meaning, it's not always easy, and I think you know that. It can be really convicting at times, and that's good. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God, which means that it is breathed by God. 
and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I have a question for you, particularly for you who are more mature in the Lord, who have a deeper understanding of the Bible. You ever think, you know, I'm not doing really well right now. In fact, I might be harboring some secret sin that nobody else sees. God sees it. So I don't want to read parts of the Bible that are going to be convicting. I'm just going to skip over that. It's going to go to a different passage. And say this, stop it. Read all of it. We need all of it. The good and the bad. We need the encouragement. We need the inspiration. We also need God's divine spankings. Because whom the Lord loves, he also chastens. Secret sins are known openly by God. Secret sins will destroy you. Secret sins will destroy relationships around you. And the worst part, Billy Graham put it this way, sin is like a sedative. You won't notice it, but the more you sin, the more numb you become. That's why it's deceitful. Put yourself under the authority of all the word, and when God convicts, good. It's because he loves you. It's because he wants to restore you into a right relationship with him. Remember, the people in Jeremiah's day, they ignored the rebuke, and it led to their slavery. And sin is like that, isn't it? It will always enslave. It will always incarcerate you. But God wants to set you free. And we are free, not just by Christ Jesus, but in Christ Jesus. As we abide in a relationship with him. So the people commit themselves to the word of God, to listening and understanding. And I love verse 9. They begin to rejoice. Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Why? They were convicted. There was sin in Israel. There was sin nationally and there was sin personally. And when they opened the word and they understood God is holy and we don't measure up. But I love this comment and I want to share it with you. It's by this scholar named Derek Kidner. He says, three times in this short paragraph, it is pointed out that holiness and gloom go ill together. The words that went most naturally with holiness were not only justice and righteousness, but glory, beauty, strength, and joy. God is holy, meaning he is entirely other. He is above. He is beyond. Jesus put it this way, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. No man can see God and live because he alone dwells in unapproachable light. And church, I believe we ought to have a very high regard for the holiness of God. Is there gloom in heaven? No. Because sin is absent from heaven. 
Scripture says that God is a consuming fire. That's terrifying and encouraging all at the same time. Because if you have put your faith in Jesus, this work has begun where you are becoming more like him. The Holy Spirit is changing you. And that consuming fire will burn up the sin, the dross, that which is tainted. And I have to share this with you. I long for that to happen in my own life. I want to be purified. I want to glorify God. I want to live in a way that brings honor and praise to him. See, all the suffering in this world is not because God is holy. It's because people are defiled. It's because people have rejected God. But God is love. And God wants nobody to perish, but that all would come to, what's the word? Repentance. Repentance is a change in thinking that leads to a change in living. I'm going to agree with God, and I'm going to commit myself to living for God in the way that honors his word. God is holy, and God is also a loving father. So these people read the word, they weep. Nehemiah and Ezra, stop, stop it, don't do it. Why? Because this day is holy to the Lord. This is a day not for weeping, but for rejoicing. And I love that. Look at how God has brought you back. Look at how God has been your strength. Look at how God has allowed you to have success in rebuilding the walls. Yes, all the destruction was caused by sin, but God's grace is always greater than our sin. And I think it's so important for us to pause and to think, where has God taken me from and where am I now? I know two things about each one of us who are Christians. One is we are not perfect, but two is that God is perfecting us. And that is a reason to pause and to rejoice. Do you remember the parable of the prodigal son? He ran away from home. He committed all kinds of heinous sins. He fed pigs. He was starving, and so he ate the pig slop. So he thought, I need to come home. I'm starving. I'll be a second-class citizen, but at least I'll live. And when his father saw him from a long way off, the father rose and he ran. And he didn't stop there. He, what, embraced his son and kissed his son before the son was cleaned up. Jesus said, come to me, all you who weary and are heavy laden. He didn't qualify it and say, if you're weary and heavy laden because other people are messed up and have hurt you, then you can come. He didn't say, if you're weary and heavy laden because others have done wrong, uh, but, but if you've done right, then you can come. No, it's just, are you weary and heavy laden? Come. Come to Jesus. Come, be refreshed. Come, find strength. Come and rest. Why? Because God takes the rubble to rebuild the walls, and God will take the rubble of our very lives and rebuild us. He is a God of second and third and fourth and 70th and 490th chances for any who will return to him. His arms are open wide. Verse 10, he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is 
holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow for why the joy of the Lord is your strength. Eat the fat, drink the sweet. Sacrifice is what this means. The joy of the Lord is our strength goes straight with the sacrifice. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. The joy that before him was set before him is what? Our restoration to a relationship with God. God rejoices in that restoration of relationship with him. The joy of the Lord is what? Your strength, your protection. The walls gave Israel protection from the enemies, and God fought on their behalf, but the context of this statement, the joy of the Lord is your strength, they're reading the law, they're convicted by the law, the law shows us our faults, but listen, even though we have faults, the joy of the Lord is our protection, our strength. God has made a way. So even though I have guilt, even though I feel ashamed of my actions of the past, God, what? Redeems. God forgives. And if these people said, how do we feel? We don't feel good. We feel bad. We don't feel like we're doing great. We feel like we ought to be weeping. What did God say? Rejoice. When we walk by faith and not by sight, there's joy in the Lord. Yes, there's conviction. Yes, there's repentance. But it leads to joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11, so the Levites quieted all the people, saying, be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. They understood the words of the law, because the words of the law revealed the heart of God. They understood who their God was a God who is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness to all who will turn to him by faith. I have a few things to say in closing. The first is this. If you're living in sin and you think that it's a light thing to sin against a holy God, remember why Israel went into captivity. They thought it was a light thing to sin and there were heavy consequences. But if you repent and turn to the Lord, he will restore you to fellowship with him. And listen, God has shown mercy. He abounds in mercy and loving kindness. And church, we have the privilege of telling other people who our God is. We have the privilege of telling other people, listen, yes, there's guilt and there's shame, but God wants to lift you up from the ashes. God wants to restore you. And what a joy it is to be able to share with other people the joy of the Lord is your strength as well. Give your life to him, trust in him. One final thought. The first trumpet these people heard was what? The war trumpet. Enemies are coming. The second trumpet they heard was the rejoicing trumpet it's time to come together and celebrate our God. The Bible talks about another trumpet. It's the next one that will sound. 
It's the rapture trumpet. Christ is coming back for his church. And blessed are those who live as though they are ready, doing the will of God. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we are excited to live for you. We don't think of ourselves as good in and of ourselves or as righteous in and of ourselves. We're not trying to earn your favor, but we are thankful that because you are the God of grace, you pour out your favor. And anybody who receives you becomes a child of God. You want us to have a relationship with you, and so Jesus, you paid that ultimate price on the cross. You died for our sins. And Father, I pray if there are any who are here who have not received Jesus, who have not put their trust in you to be forgiven of their sins, that today they would do just that. They would believe that you were resurrected from the dead, that you died for our sins. They would confess you as Lord, and they would have eternal life because of you. And for those of us who have received you, Lord, that we would press in, that we would take our relationship with you seriously, give you our full attention, that we can live as ready, doing your will until we hear that trumpet blast and we enter into the fullness of joy in your presence. And if you're here and you've not given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that right now. It's simple. You just confess, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again from the dead and I give you my life. If you want to give your life to Jesus, just do that. And if you're here and you haven't taken your relationship with God seriously, in fact, you've been harboring secret sin, it's time to repent. The times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord. And there's a prayer room that's off to my right, to your left. We're gonna sing a final song and I would encourage you to make your way over there. Listen, there is strength. There's strength with other believers. We're here to help one another walk with Christ. So let's stand. Let's worship the Lord one more time together.